Dear congregation, <clears throat> it takes nothing for you, child of God, to backslide from God. But it takes infinite mercy to restore you back to God. When we backslide, people of God, we, as it were, fall asleep. Our senses of sin and of salvation, of the Savior himself, they become dull. We become distant to the realities of life and the realities of faith and the realities of salvation until and unless the Lord awakens us, especially to his mercy. As the Lord did in the life of Jonah, as we shall see from this first chapter, and though we will look at the whole chapter, I will read at this time only verse 6. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. If so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. A theme looking to the Lord is sleepers awake to the mercy of God. We'll see first of all, that this mercy is wide, verses 1 and 2. We'll see, secondly, that this mercy is strong, verses 3 through 16. And thirdly, and lastly, we'll see that this mercy is deep, verse 17. Sleepers awake to the mercy of God. Mercy that is wide, one and two. Mercy that is strong, three through 16. And mercy that is deep, verse 17. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. This is the opening of the prophecy uh, with the name Jonah attached to it. Jonah, the prophet of the Lord. Children, did you know that the name Jonah means dove? It's really a beautiful name, dove. But Jonah did not have much of a dove-like character. He needed much more of the love of the Holy Spirit who is pictured in the Scriptures as a heavenly dove. We do know that Jonah was a true prophet of the Lord. You can read about him in 2 Kings 14, verse 25. He prophesied during the reign of Jeroboam II in the northern kingdom, 793 to 753 B.C. And it was a time in Israel's history where there was a lot of prosperity, outwardly speaking. <clears throat> you read in that verse I just mentioned that the Lord restored the border of Israel from the entering of Manath unto the sea of the plain according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, which was of Gath-hefer. This material prosperity, however, was not matched with spiritual prosperity because everything about Jeroboam II's reign 
speaks of decline, of idolatry, of oppression of the common people from the king on down. And yet even there the Lord had his prophets. He had Jonah who prophesied the word of the Lord, maybe raised up in the school of the prophets which Elijah and Elisha had started a century before. Well, at any rate, children, one day the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and tells him to go 500 miles to the east to the city of Nineveh, the greatest city of the world at that time, the capital city of the kingdom of Assyria, with according to the fourth chapter of Jonah, chapter 4, verse 11, 120,000 inhabitants, which was a lot of people for that time. But remember that Assyria was a hostile nation to Israel. They had already at this point They had done a lot of damage. They had conquered parts of Israel. They had shed a lot of blood and they had enslaved a lot of people. And Assyria would ultimately be the nation that would take the northern kingdom and send them into exile. And now Jonah is being asked. He is being directed by God to preach in Nineveh. And Jonah will not have it. Jonah will not do it. And what this brings before his congregation is that Jonah's view of God and especially the mercy of God was oh so narrow. You see, his view was that Israel should indeed experience and have the mercy of God and Jonah was passionate, no doubt, to preach the Lord's truth, including the mercy of the Lord to his covenant people, Israel. But to Nineveh, to the enemies of Israel? Well, Jonah is not in favor of this. And Jonah makes that clear in his actions in chapter 1, and he makes it clear also in his speech in chapter 4 when he says that I knew all along, he says in essence, that thou art a merciful God. Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful. And so he doesn't want the Ninevites to know and to hear about the mercy of the Lord. But perhaps you say, but God was was telling him to go to Nineveh and to cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Why wouldn't Jonah want to do that? to speak about the sin and the wickedness of this great country. How hard was that? Couldn't he even bring himself to do that? You see, congregation, Jonah understood that when the Lord sends a preacher to bring even that dark message, that the Lord's designs, God's designs are of mercy. Do we see that? Do we understand that? When the preaching of judgment and of law, as it properly must be preached also in our own hearing, do we understand that God's designs behind that from all eternity are such that 
If the Lord simply wanted to condemn us and nothing more, He could withhold everything from us and simply let us go on in our sin and our misery until we drop off the face of the earth into hell forever. But when the Lord comes with His own servant and He comes among us, and even the preaching of sin and of misery and of judgment to come, when the Lord has that in His mind and He sends preachers to do that, the designs are of mercy. The Lord Jesus says this about the Holy Spirit and about His work. He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And all of that is preparatory, of course, for the Lord guiding into all truth. And the same is true when another preacher, the Apostle Paul, is raised up and he writes a letter to the Romans and you read the first three chapters and it's all about sin and it's all about misery and it's all about judgment on Gentiles and on Jews. Paul knows that it won't stop there, though that may be the first emphasis. But the Lord there is simply making room for himself in order to magnify his mercy, in order to declare his salvation far and wide. This is exactly what our canons of Dort say so eloquently in Head 1, Article 3, where we read, and that men may be brought to believe. God mercifully sends the messengers of these most joyful tidings to whom he will and at what time he pleases by whose ministry men are called to repentance and faith in Christ crucified. And so Jonah already knew that behind that message of judgment and that declaration of the wickedness of the people of Assyria, he knew that behind that there was a heart in God that was brimming over with designs of mercy and he would not have it. Not for Nineveh. Not for the Ninevites. And so what does this say to us, congregation? Well, what a privilege it is when you have a minister of the gospel among you, someone sent by God to declare God's word. Death in Adam and life in Christ. Misery, deliverance, and gratitude. Because behind it all, there are these designs that wherever the gospel goes forth, God would magnify His mercy. God would magnify His undeserved favor. And the question is, congregation, whether you and I have such a beating heart within us that knows not only our need for mercy, but also would have from out of the experience of that mercy for ourselves that we would have a view of the wideness of God's mercy that if God could have mercy on me, God can have mercy on anyone. And then it matters not what class you are from or what nation you are from or what you have done in your life, or how far you are from God. And you would that everyone in the entire world would hear the gospel of free and sovereign grace. Whether they are children running around the 
streets of Mexico City or peddlers in Bangkok or mafia bosses in Sicily, Italy or the elite forces in Pyongyang, whoever and wherever they are. And even our own nation's enemies, are they less deserving of the gospel than we are? What an encouragement this chapter is to evangelism and to missions to see the wideness of God's mercy. And also for you, my unconverted friend, though you have long persisted in your unbelief and in your sin, God's designs in bringing the gospel still today, even behind the warnings, even behind the exposure of your sin, His designs are of mercy while it is yet the day of grace. Paul says it this way, And thinkest thou, O man, that judgest them which do these things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and the forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? And so, congregation, first of all, we come here face to face with the message that is still as true today as it ever was. And that that is that God's mercy is wide. As the ocean, God is a wide-hearted God, reverently speaking. And His people, even His dear people, who often have such narrow conceptions of the mercy of God. They are no accurate reflection of what lives and dwells in the heart of God. How shall I give you up, O Ephraim? You self-destroying people, the Lord says. My bowels are moved with compassion within me. Nineveh must hear the gospel. The unconverted, wherever they live, they must hear the gospel. That is, in the first place, the message of Jonah chapter 1, the mercy of God, which is wide. But secondly, congregation, we see here in this chapter that the mercy of God is not only wide, but it is strong. And thanks be to God for that, for it is one thing if it were wide, but it were weak. But as we see in this middle section of the chapter, God's mercy is so strong, for it pursues Jonah in his flight and in his rebellion. And Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Notice that, children. God says, go east. And Jonah goes west, the very opposite direction. He goes to the port city of Joppa, there on the Mediterranean Sea, and he boards a ship in the direction of Tarshish, which would be in modern-day Spain, some 3,000 miles from Israel. God says, go 500 miles one way, and Jonah says, I'm going 3,000 miles the opposite way, and he wants to run from the presence of the Lord. Notice that. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah knew well what he was doing. 
No, Jonah wanted to run and hide from the presence of the Lord. Now, children, maybe you say, didn't Jonah know better? We can't hide from God. We can't run away from God, and you're absolutely right. But do you know that that's what we want to do by our sin? Do you remember Adam and Eve when they had sinned against God in the Garden of Eden? What did they do? No, they couldn't run from God, but they tried to. They tried to hide from God's all-seeing eye. They hid behind fig leaves or bushes from the presence of God. And this lies deeply rooted in our natural heart. And this is not just true in the world. Like someone said to me one time, he said, sometimes these people in front of you in these pews, they're most adept at hiding from the Lord because they think that they can hide here safely and securely among the people of God. They can hide in the pews that God might not see them. God might not catch them. God might not pursue them. God might just turn a blind eye to them because, well, they're in church. They're a member of a church. But absolutely right, children, we cannot hide from God. And you too cannot hide from God. And in this chapter, we see three ways in which the Lord pursues Jonah. And his mercy shows itself strong, first of all, by sending a storm. Sending a storm. Verse 4, and the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Well, it's all because of Jonah. The Lord is after Jonah. The Lord is pursuing Jonah. The Lord is wanting to awake Jonah, and he will. And so this is the first step in God's pursuit of Jonah. Now, a word about backsliding, because this is what Jonah is doing here. When we turn away from God, when we seek to hide from God, people of God, because that's who are backsliders. The wicked, the unconverted, they don't backslide. They simply remain in their sin. Sure, they have fallen from God. They are turned away from God, but backsliding in the Bible is someone who has been in the fellowship and communion with the Lord, who has been a recipient of the grace of God, and who yet has slidden backward. And I want to speak to those of you who are in that state right now of backsliding. This is something that every Christian should be aware of, the motions of backsliding in our hearts. Backsliding is never far away. In fact, it's always right there. And like I said at the very beginning, we don't don't need to do anything to slide backward. We just have to remain as we are. We just have to do nothing. And we slide back. It's like gravity. There's this pull of the world. And Satan loves it, of course. But it's within our own hearts, this pull away from God. This undertow. Children, maybe you've been at the beach and you have to be very careful with this. If your parents ever warn you that there's an undertow, 
then you have to stay away from the water. But maybe it's happened before that you were in the water and you felt like this little tickle, this, this pull of the water. And, and that's what a current is. That's what an undertow is. And sometimes it goes horribly wrong and this, the water, the undercurrent, pulls you along. But initially it might just feel kind of even interesting. But if that undertow takes you, it is so hard to get away from it. In fact, sometimes the more you fight it, the worse it is. You have to bend away from it. But so it is also with this undertow, this current of backsliding that comes into our hearts and it is deadly if the Lord does not prevent it to be so. There's a wonderful book by Octavius Winslow called Personal Declension and Revival in the Soul. And it's a book that should be on every Christian's bookshelf. And you can also access it freely online. And he talks about the steps that spiritual decline takes in our lives and how backsliding begins in our heart. It begins when our love for Christ cools, when faith grows dim, he says, when prayer becomes common and ordinary, not fervent, not sought after, when we become weary and fatigued in the things of God and the cost of following Christ. And and world conformity is an evidence. This is not where it starts, by the way. It starts where I just, where, where I, all these things I listed. But it's a symptom that we're well on our way in backsliding when we become conformed to this world, when, when we are all about ease in religion, on that which suits us, when we tolerate sin, we turn a blind eye to sin, and then the next step is to seek out sin, to actually pursue after sin. And then, says Octavius Winslow, we come into the stupor of sleep. A deadly, serious sleep. And a lot of times we need to beware, especially of trials that come into our lives, because these things can stir up unbelief in our hearts. When we actually become bitter against the Lord, and we say that the way of the Lord is hard. And, and we lose our perspective. And we blame the Lord for things in our life. And these may be occasions of backsliding in our life. And clearly Jonah here was given a hard task in terms of his nature. And it became the occasion. Not the, the fault or the, the, the reason. Because there was no reason in the Lord to backslide. But it became the occasion for him to run from the Lord, to turn away from the Lord, from, to hide from the Lord until sleep, deep sleep, came over Jonah. So much so that the storm does nothing to him. Imagine that. Here are these hardened sailors, as you can read, they, they become concerned. They're throwing cargo overboard, but Jonah is asleep in the sides of the ship, fast asleep. You see, congregation, this is not a natural sleep. This is, in a certain sense, you could say a deadly sleep. He is sleeping here, literally, the sleep of death. And were it not for God's mercy, his strong mercy, which pursued Jonah, he would have slept the sleep of death. 
So that, first of all, God sends a storm that doesn't awaken Jonah. But God's mercy is stronger still because God secondly pursues Jonah through these hardened sailors. First of all, the storm, and now the sailors, these frightened sailors. And children, you need to know that these Gentile, heathen, hardened sailors would have been used to many a storm. And they've seen a lot. A lot happens in the Mediterranean Sea. But there's something special about this storm, and these sailors know it. And they, after throwing their their cargo overboard, which wasn't an easy thing to do because that was your livelihood, that was your money, they finally come to Jonah, and they shake him. They seek to wake him up. What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. It's something, isn't it? One commentator says this, it's something when the world has to wake up the church. When the world looks at the church and sees sleep and ease, a little folding of the hands to rest, and the world says, you're the church. Why aren't you praying? Why don't you have answers? Why are you at ease? Our world is going down and you're asleep. What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. Congregation, do we need the world to shake us awake to pray? Or do we have that impulse within ourselves? To cry to God for all that's happening in our world and also in the church worldwide. It's a sign of backsliding. We're not taking hold of the Lord in prayer. We're not taking hold of the promises of God personally. And as a church and in our families and beseeching the Lord in wrath to remember mercy. To cry to God that he would rend the heavens and come down. Oh, what an indictment it is upon the church when the world has to wake us up because we are not already on our knees. We are not already crying to our God whom we know does all things in the armies of heaven and also among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? And so behind these voices of these hardened sailors, there is the hand of God that has reached Jonah. And they cast lots, and the lot, imagine that, the lot fell on Jonah. It's as if straight through these hardened sailors and through the casting of the lot, there is this divine finger from heaven that comes straight unto the chest of Jonah, and it says, you are the man. You are at fault. You are responsible for all that's happening. Oh, congregation, what would that be? The Lord's finger pointed to you. That people all around would would have reason to say, what meanest thou, O sleeper? 
What have you done? Who are you? What's your occupation? Who's your God? Has it never happened in your life that the Lord, through the preaching of the word or in providence, his finger pointed to you, made you to realize, whether for a first time or in a fresh way, that you were straying, that you were not where you needed to be. Like Nathan with David, you are the man. We sang together, thou hast searched me, thou hast known me. God knows you, my friend. God knows where you are. God knows what you've done. Nothing is hid from him. One Puritan said, God doesn't know by searching, he knows by seeing. All things are open and naked before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. God has a way of doing that. Under preaching or through providence to point the finger. We do well to bow before the Lord and say with David, I have sinned against the Lord. And yet, congregation with Jonah, he's not yet there. It's a remarkable thing, isn't it? That even though he tells these men all the truth, he tells them that it's because of his own disobedience that God, the God of the heavens and the earth and the dry land and the sea, that all this is happening. There's an acknowledgement of guilt, and yet there is no ultimate breaking before the Lord. There's no melting of his heart yet before God. And down at the bottom of the congregation, and this, to see this in yourself, Jonah is an enemy of the mercy of God. He doesn't want others to have the mercy of God, and down deep, he too does not want to live from the mercy of God. The way that he is living this way is really as an enemy of God and of God's mercy. He cannot countenance, he cannot stomach that God is a God of mercy who is deserving of our all and is deserving of the glory of his name and the magnifying of his mercy. Jonah here is bent on death. He says to these men, throw me overboard and the storm will be still. And there you see how he is choosing death over repentance, over a turning back to God. He is at this point, in his own experience, he is yet an enemy of grace and of mercy. He will not live out of mercy, out of God's open hand of mercy. He doesn't cry. He doesn't say, have mercy upon me, O God. He doesn't say, take not thy Holy Spirit away from me, though I've deserved it. He doesn't say, cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean, yea, clean indeed. He doesn't say, Lord, is there a way back? He doesn't say, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. 
throw me overboard. Oh, Jonah, what will you do? How will you stand before God? Having despised the riches of his mercy. Do you not see, congregation, what lives in your heart and in my heart apart from the grace of God? If God were to leave us, I know. If God were to leave me, I wouldn't want mercy. I wouldn't have mercy. Not God's way. Not on God's term. We need God every moment. In everything. To melt our heart. To bend our will. To make us submissive to his will and even to his own mercy and to live off of his mercy. You see, pride is so deeply rooted in our life that even when we are exposed to our sin, our natural instinct is to do it ourselves, to go it alone, to do it our own way, to work ourselves up, to earn something, but to cry for mercy empty-handed, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. No man doesn't want that. He wants some other way. And yet, thanks be to God, congregation, God's mercy is stronger still. God sends a storm. God sends these sailors with everything that happens, including his own finger being pointed here at Jonah. The third thing that shows the depths, excuse me, the the strength of his mercy is the conversion of the Gentile sailors themselves. That's why we have this whole section here from especially verses 11 through 14. Imagine this. Here is Jonah, this reluctant, this rebellious missionary. He wouldn't go to Nineveh. He would go to Tarshish. And here are these hardened sailors that know nothing about God, nothing about the God of Israel, nothing about the mercy of the Lord. But simply from his confession that he serves the God of heaven and of earth and of the dry land and the sea, and that this God, he has run from the presence of the Lord, and that he's trying to hide from from this God, and that for his sin's sake, this calamity has come upon them. These sailors, with just that, that's all they have, these men start to cry to God. They pray God to not regard them and and, and their sin and their situation. And and, and they cry for their life, something that Jonah wouldn't even do. Verse 14, we beseech thee, O God, O Lord. They They use the name of the Lord, the merciful God. We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. What a prayer. You'd think that that would come from the lips of Jonah, but no, it comes from these these previously hardened sailors. In other words, God is working in them, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God's hand of mercy is upon them. 
God reveals something of His Jehovah character to them. And they, they apprehend it. They cry to God. They beg for mercy. And the Lord shows mercy upon them. And Jonah is watching all this. How God and God's hand and God's mercy reaches these hearts of these Gentile sailors despite Him. Notwithstanding Him. Right in front of them. Right in front of Him. There is evidence of God's saving mercy. You know, congregation, that can happen in your and my life as well. You sit under the preaching. God is striving with your soul. God is uncovering your sin. God is unmasking you that eternity is real, that life is short, and that if you have no covering for your soul, you'll stand before that great white throne and you will not be able to stand. And yet you push it away. You won't succumb to mercy. You, you won't become indebted to mercy. You push it away. You keep on going. Sunday after Sunday, month after month, all the while searing your conscience and hardening your heart. And then next to you, your brother is saved. Or your sister is saved. Or this person over there, you, 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 you never thought they could be saved. And, and, and mercy grabs them. Mercy saves them. The Lord is that close. The Lord's saving power is that close. He plucks one right next to you out of the jaws of sin and death and hell. My friend, if that happens, God is striving with you. It'll be more tolerable in the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah and for Tyre and Sidon than for you who have heard the gospel and who never have repented. These sailors had so little, and yet they bowed the knee and cried to God. And you, my unconverted friend, you have so much. The Lord has striven with you, with your conscience. None here can say the Lord has not done that to a certain extent. The Lord Jesus wept over Jerusalem and said, How oft would I have gathered you? That's what the overtures of God's mercy do. They are like God as a mother hen seeking to draw sinners to himself, to cover them from the judgment. The Lord Jesus says about Capernaum, it shall be more tolerable. For pagan nations than for you. For you knew not the day of your visitation. You didn't see how close mercy came. It was right there. Right in this place, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their iniquities unto them. And there you were, and you could, you could leave cold, hard, harder yet. A rebel, a rebel of mercy. Paul says in Romans 10, I will provoke you 
to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation will I provoke you. That's what the Lord does. And that's what the Lord is doing here to his wayward, to his rebellious Jonah. These sailors are saved. Oh, congregation, do you see how wide God's mercy is? Do you see, secondly, how strong his mercy is? Whoever you are, my friend, however strong your unbelief, how, no matter how strong the shackles of sin are in your life, the mercy of God is stronger still. Every kind providence that the Lord gives you, every sermon is the Lord's mercy, full arms stretched out to you. Tonight's service is one more merciful opportunity in the Lord in which the Lord says, I do not desire the death of the wicked. But herein do I have delight that the wicked turn from his wicked way and live. That's the Lord. That's his truth. The Lord cannot lie. But don't sin against mercy. Don't despise the mercy, the goodness of God. Proverbs 29 verse 1 has these solemn words. He who being often reproved hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. My friend, whoever you are, if you think that next week there will be another sermon in which God's arms are outstretched still, Oh, my friend, you can't count on it, not for yourself. Today is the day of salvation. Today, while you hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation. Why will you die with a mercy unlike anything? Strong, wide, but also deep. Because what we see here in our third and final point, and that briefly, is that Jehovah's mercy is so deep. Verse 14, and he said unto them, take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Congregation, this is not a holy resignation. This is an unholy resignation to live and to die apart from the mercy of the Lord. And I know that Jonah was a child of God, and that shows you how deep and how dark this can become. You see, congregation, there can be in church, there can be people that have this resignation to their lot and, and, and to the condemnation that, 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 that rests upon them. And they can even dress it up in pious language like, well, it's not meant for everyone, you know. And if I'm not elect, then it's not for me. And I don't feel enough of my sin. And so people scheme out many a hold out against God, the sovereign God of heaven and of earth who bears no arguing with and who simply calls it all sinful schemes, holdouts against mercy.
remember a man coming under my preaching and he said to me one time after a sermon, he said, smoke these foxes out of their holes. That's what the preaching needs to do. Is sinners will hide. They'll make hiding places for themselves. But the word of God needs to bring us out of these false refuges in order to stand before the living God as sinners and nothing less or more. And to cry for mercy until we have mercy from the God of heaven. And this is how deep the mercy of God is in the life of Jonah. He won't let Jonah die. No. Verse 17, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The Lord sent the wind, the storm. The Lord sent those sailors. The Lord sent even the conversion of the sailors. And when none of these things drew Jonah out of his deep-seated backsliding, the Lord prepared a fish to swallow up Jonah. And as Jonah's body crashes upon the waves and he sinks, and we don't know how long it was, but probably not long at all, there comes this fish that the Lord sends and it swallows up Jonah. And the great jaws of this fish, they open up so that he is not harmed in the process, but there he is in the belly of this fish, three days and three nights. And there in the depths of the sea that should have consumed him, that should have marked his end, that should have marked his demise, this enemy against God's mercy, there the Lord creates a pocket in which he holds his soul in life and does not suffer him to destroy himself. What mercy. What deep, deep, deep mercy that God saw Jonah and would not let him go. Love that would not let this rebel go. I don't understand it. I would have given up on Jonah long ago, and you and I would have been the same with each other, left to ourselves. But God had designs and purposes of wide and strong and deep mercy, and he has sent me to proclaim them to you tonight, whoever you are. Backsliding child of God, the Lord's mercy is what you need. Sleepers, awake to mercy. What meanest thou, O sleeper? Backsliding child of God, don't sleep on. You're missing out on the reality and, and, and the matchless mercy of God, which is what you need and which you must feed on. And there's nothing but living hand to mouth out of the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. That's what God has designed for our life to be. To live out of the mercy of God each and every day that he allows us to be on this world. And the price, reverently speaking, for that mercy was paid by one who congregation came into our world. 
who never did or committed any sin. Neither was any deceit found in his mouth. He never rebelled against mercy. No, in fact, he was mercy in the flesh. And yet he, for Jonah's sake, and for your sake, believer here today, he went into the sea of God's wrath. And there was no pocket of air, humanly speaking and reverently speaking. In the wrath of God that came upon Christ for the sin of Jonah and for the sin of all God's people in every generation, he sank into ground where there was no standing and he was in the belly of the earth three days and three nights in order that God might be a merciful God for sinners the world over. Also tonight, His mercy is wide in Jesus Christ to the chief of sinners. No matter how long, how far, how deeply sunken you are in sin, the mercy of God in Christ can reach you and save you and take you from the very edge of hell and bring you into the very heart of heaven, all for Christ's sake. He did it for sinners. And he still shows his, his love and his mercy for sinners today. In the preaching of the gospel, he for me who should have otherwise suffered innumerable reproaches, he for me. What a gospel, what a savior, what a mercy, wide mercy. Strong mercy, and thank God for deep mercy, matchless mercy. My unconverted friend, don't leave fighting mercy. Don't. Why will you die with mercy? For the chief of sinners, amen. Gracious, good doing, and almighty Lord God, be pleased that thy strong, far-reaching arm of mercy would reach into our hearts. Lord, we confess our sins. We are prone to halt and stumble. We are so addicted to backsliding. We are like Israel, bent on backsliding. Oh, turn us, and we shall be turned. Awaken us tonight to thy mercy, the reality of thy mercy, the power of thy mercy, and the depth of thy mercy. O Lord, make it well. Be the after-preacher of thine own word, and do what thou alone canst do, and take all the glory to thyself. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake alone. Amen.